Welcome back, everyone. It is time. It is True Crime Tuesday, and Amanda and I are back. We are Woo! here. Woo! We are here for <coughs> season two, episode two, and we are here to tell you our latest old, cold, and untold tale in true crime. Are you ready, Amanda? I am ready. Okay. So we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer. And we found out that we spent some time in the same state around the same time. That's right. So I decided we would take it back to Maryland for us. Okay. So we are going to Baltimore County. Oh, no. Yeah. All the bad shit happens in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And this one is going to infuriate you as well. So if I had to guess, I'm going to go four and a half on the angry Amanda face scale on this one. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So in order to kind of fill you in on the case itself, I kind of have to give you some background information. And today we are going, before we get into the story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our, our victim here. And her name is Joanne Elizabeth LaCornu, and she went by Jody. And, yeah, Jody was born on October 28th, 1972, so almost a Halloween baby (laughs) after our own heart. Um, And she was actually a twin sister. She was just a couple minutes older than her sister Jenny, and they were identical twins. Um, so they grew up super close, very, you know, you hear constantly how twins are, you know, next level close. And that was the case for them. And it was kind of typical and well known that Jody was the outgoing twin, the one who was fearless and had no, a take no prisoners kind of attitude. And Jenny, her younger sister, was the shy one who found comfort in her sister's presence and, you know, always felt more secure when her sister was by her side. So, yeah. So, like I said, these twins were super close growing up. And sadly, around, I would say their early teenage years, they both began to dabble with alcohol. Yeah. Um, Their father had an alcohol problem, so it was, you know, readily available in the house. And they found themselves trying it for the first time when they stayed home from school and sampled some of the the stuff that was in their parents' medicine cabinet. And by their senior year of high school, they both found themselves in rehab. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, their, their dad also had the same alcohol issues, and he was actually a like an investigator for 
like, um, like organized crime and stuff with police. So, you know, pretty stressful job. So, um, it kind of, it kind of trickled down. So eventually the sisters did kind of separate. Um, Jenny found herself in Los Angeles while Jody stayed pretty close to her Baltimore roots. And Jenny actually went out to call or California to a new rehab facility that was kind of on a dude ranch. So she could just have a new environment and, you know, new scenery. And she found that the horses were very therapeutic. However, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, Jody did not share the same desire to go. So she stayed pretty close to her Baltimore roots. So that is going to bring us to the crime itself. But before we get into the crime, let's go ahead. This is a good stopping point to kind of take a break and and hear a word from our sponsor. All righty. Hey, Shan, did you know being an adult is hard? Yes, I do. Well, I don't think we should make it harder. One of the most important decisions you have to make as an adult is buying or selling your home. As a person who's done both, I truly hate it. From picking the perfect home until you close, it can be a wild and crazy ride. But you know what helps? Having a great realtor. They can definitely make or break the experience. I couldn't agree more, Amanda. If you live in central Iowa, it doesn't get any better than Tiffany Markham with the American Real Estate Company. Whether you're moving to the city or you want to check out a place out in the country, she will be completely committed to getting you into your perfect home from start to finish. When buying a home brings you lemons, Tiffany makes lemonade. With vodka. With vodka, yes. (laughs) From late night negotiations to inspection hiccups, spiders, termites, whatever, you, she has you covered. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home in central Iowa, contact the American Real Estate Company on Facebook or call Tiffany directly at 515-776-0164 and tell her the girls from Crime Rewind sent you. And happy house hunting. Good luck. Crime Rewind is a proud member of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network. Other shows in the network include The Simplest, Mass Debaters, Crushgasm, An Evening at the Movies, Men Are the Prize, Literature Reapers, and Love is Black. You can find out all about our shows and more at IDNMTRPodcastNetwork.com. Happy listening. And uh, speaking of real estate, man, uh, the houses are going like crazy. So, and I cannot believe how much money people are paying. So definitely get you a good realtor if uh, you want to keep doing that. Because, yeah, one of our friends just... Bought a $900,000 house that's basically the size of my house. Oh, my gosh. We could sell our house for about $800,000. We paid two seventy dollars something for it. Why have you not done that yet? Because we can't, because interest rates are ridiculous. We have a, we have like a 2.5 interest rate. Um, interest rates are like in the fours right now. And yeah, that's two, true. It's like you can't get. I mean, we would go to a smaller house and still pay like the same amount of money. Yeah. And we want land. And so we're, we have a five-year plan. Good. So <laughs> five-year plans are, are good to have. 
I wish we had a right now plan for getting out of this house, but not that I hate my house. I just hate the area anyway. Yeah. It's too busy. It's so, too loud. Yeah. Quiet in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to go into the evening and early morning that um, Jody was killed. So what is most frustrating about this case is are all of the roadblocks and lack of effort that has been done by the police and politicians. Um, and sadly, Jenny's own family has often asked her why she could, why she can't just let this go. But that's her mm -hmm. sister. You know, she, she wants to know what happened. So, yeah. So we are going to go back in time to 1996, March 1st. And Jody was finishing her shift up at the Eastern Savings Bank in Hunt Valley, Maryland, um, which is in Baltimore County. So she actually worked there part time as a receptionist to kind of earn some additional money because she was going to um, Towson State University and she was studying geriatrics. So I'm not entirely sure what is involved in geriatrics. But I'm guessing maybe like, you know, some nursing home administration or something like that. But who knows? Yeah. But she was young. So she had like tons of time to figure it out. So she actually lived with her boyfriend, Steve, in an apartment. Um, and the sad part about their relationship is she actually met him at a bar. And she had kind of lied to him know. about her age. And they both had extreme drinking problems. Um, but the difference was Jody liked to go out and drink. She liked to, you know, hang out at the bars and do all of that stuff where as Steve liked to stay home and drink. And okay. that caused quite a, a shift in their relationship and some, some animosity because he didn't understand why she wanted to go out all the time. And she couldn't understand why he wanted to stay in all the time. Um, and he was actually a lot older than her when, they met and started dating. So already not the most healthy relationship, probably some codependency going on. Um, but their relationship was definitely centered around their drinking problems. Um, yeah. And that's, that's terrible. They were probably enabling each other and, you know, just feeding off of that alcoholism. So yeah. the night before on April 30th, Jody and Steve had had this fight and it had centered around drinking and they had both gone to bed and they were both still pretty pissed off. Um, so she got up and went to work and did all of her things, but she decided that she didn't want to go home right after her shift because when she went home, it was just going to be the same fight and she didn't want to deal with it. So this was kind of her way of procrastinating dealing with the fight. So she decides to actually go to her favorite bar called Mount Washington Tavern. And some people say it was to avoid Steve for a couple more hours. But I don't know if you know, you know this as well as I do. If you delay the inevitable, like that just yeah. gives the other person more time to get amped, amped up and more angry. Like if you go and do the thing that you're fighting about and then come home, they're going to be even more angry. So, yeah. Um, and he didn't mind that she was drinking. Like I said, they were both alcoholics. So he was just more upset that she was going out to do it. Um, yeah. 
so that was obviously putting a strain on the relationship and she was mad at him. So this bar, the Mount Washington Tavern, was kind of like her cheers, like her local hangout. She went there all the time. And she was even friends with the the bar owner and a lot of the regulars there. So she was there the whole night. Nothing crazy happened. Just, you know, drinking. Not really just ridiculously hammered or anything. So um, it was around closing time, around 2 a.m. And Jody actually agreed to give one of the bar employees a ride home. So her family says that this is like super strange because she was very diligent about her safety, uh, wouldn't give strange people rides, you know, especially in Baltimore that late at night. She knew that that was suspicious or, you know, suspect. But the bar owner had kind of vouched for this guy. So she's like, all right, I'll do it, you know, because she knew the bar owner and they were really close. So um, she wanted to help. Um, So... I mean, it can kind of be written off as weird or, you know, maybe it was just her trying to help. But so she the the person made it home safe and everything is good. So then Jody doesn't go home right away. She actually goes to like a a liquor store kind of place and grabs some cash from the ATM and um, grabs a six pack of beer. Which would indicate, you know, she's not done partying yet. Right. Um, and some people are like, okay, maybe that was going to be her peace offering when she went home. Hmm. So, um, but people said that's not really super out of her character. But what is out of her character is instead of going home, she drives to a parking lot that is just a couple of minutes away from her apartment and makes some phone calls from her car and just kind of like sits there. And when I say she makes phone calls from her car, this is 1996. She doesn't have a cell phone. She has a purse phone. And that is basically a bag that is a cell phone. It's got all the mechanics in it. So she's got that. And she's making phone calls and just kind of sitting in this parking lot. So her and her boyfriend are fighting. And she could have gone home. It's not like the fight was so you know, intense that she was moving out or anything like that. It was just a typical fight. And, you know, he had actually told her, if you're going to go out drinking with your friends, I think you should go stay at your parents' house that night. Like, don't come home. So, you know, was she just mad at her? Yeah, he was mad that she was choosing to go out to the bars drinking rather than staying at home with him. Um, So the weird thing is, it's like, three o'clock in the morning in Baltimore. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but Jody was super, super paranoid that something was going to happen to her. She had talked to friends and family numerous times about how she felt like she was going to get shot. Like something violent was going to happen to her. And she had had this thought like pretty much her whole life. So she was super paranoid and crazy. Yeah. Um, so the fact that she would be sitting in an empty parking lot, you know, in the middle of this, you know, decrepit kind of city, um, is, is kind of weird. And her sister Jenny said that she was terrified 
um, that she was going to get shot in Baltimore. And it was a very specific fear. And sadly, it would, you know, it would come to fruition. Damn it. Yeah. So the early morning of March 2nd, it's like after three o'clock in the morning, it's cold, snowing, not really like prime hangout weather for parking lot parties. Um, especially for someone, you know, who had that kind of fear and was worried that something bad would happen to them. But here we are. Yeah. So she's sitting in this parking lot making some calls, just kind of hanging out by herself. But she's not there by herself for long because witnesses see a car pull up. And it's a white BMW and a man gets out of his car and goes to her car and she rolls down her window and they start having a conversation. And it's not her driver's side window that's rolled down. It's the rear passenger side window that's rolled down. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So um, so they start having a conversation. So it's unknown whether she was, like, meeting them there or, you know, just happened to be someone who, who knew her and saw her car and, and rolled up. Um, but she was just kind of hanging out there for no reason. So this guy in the white BMW gets out, and Jody rolls down her window to talk to him willingly, and they have an exchange for a few minutes. And the man walks away and goes back to his car. And when he gets to his car, he pulls out a handgun and goes back up to Jody's car and fires a single shot into the rear passengers, through the rear passenger window. What? Yeah. Now, the bullet okay. hits her in the back and severs, severs her spinal cord. Ugh. But here's the thing. She doesn't die right away. So somehow she was able to drive um, and she got out of the parking lot and was able to cross over five lanes of traffic and end up in a huge shopping center parking lot. Wow. Yeah. And this is with her, her spinal cord severed. So that's, that's crazy. Um, now, I don't know. It doesn't mention where, you know, in the spinal cord it was injured. But if it's severed to me it's anywhere you're not going to have use of your legs. Right. But, you know, right. she did it. Yeah. The, sometimes the will to live does some crazy things to you. True. Adrenaline. Um, I haven't fully felt the extent of it yet. Yeah. So there was actually a delivery crew that was delivering some groceries to a local supermarket around 341 and they were there and they had seen this whole encounter take place. And they're actually the ones that called the cops. Um, so Jody, like I said, Jody drove across that five lanes of traffic into another parking lot. And you would think if this was, you know, a random act of violence, like whatever it would be. If I were a criminal, which I am not, my first thought would be to, to get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, leave. Because, number one, she's not dead. Number two, there's witnesses. Yeah. You know? Like, the car is obvious and there's witnesses. How do we not know? Okay. So, instead of okay. the... Yeah. So, instead of fleeing the scene, the shooter actually follows her. Okay. So, he follows her and he sits there and waits for her to die. Wow. So, I'm guessing he's, you know, just sitting there because he knows, you know, he got a fatal shot in um 
And then Jenny says that she learned from later witnesses that the killer didn't seem to be any in any kind of hurry. Um, so they see this, the killer follow Jody to the other parking lot, get out of his car, walk to Jody's and reach into Jody's car to put it in park. But he still doesn't flee. So he, yeah. So he reaches over her body, puts her car in park. And then he also took some items out of her car. But we have no idea what he took. Okay. Like, they could, the, the witnesses could see him, you know, reach in, put it in park, and then pull something out. But they were far enough away that they couldn't tell what it was. Hmm. So based on all of this and the lack of, like, panic and everything, it doesn't seem like this is, like, a crime of passion or you know, like a, some kind of, you know, hurried exchange or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's almost like he stalked her. He shot her, then followed her. Like, it seemed super intentional and, like, targeted. So, people um, are under the impression that maybe it was some kind of exchange. Like, she was there to exchange something. Like, some people say money for drugs yeah. Um, because, you know, she obviously with her being super paranoid, wouldn't roll down her window for just anyone. Um, so that is one of the, the exchange or one of the theories that people have. Um, so they think that she, this person walked up to her window, she rolled down her window, they talked for a few minutes and then he walked away. Like maybe they were supposed to be getting something from their vehicle. And then instead of bringing the item that she was purchasing back, they decided to shoot her. Yeah. Um, but she had to have known them because she was waiting for him to come back. Like she left her window down. Like she didn't roll it back up after the exchange. So, right. Um, so she wasn't scared, in my opinion, if she, you know, rolled it down, kept it down. Um, yeah. And then I, I think that that part where he came back with the gun obviously was outside of the plan. I mean, I, she wasn't going to be like, yeah, come on back, <laughs> you know. Um, but some people also think that maybe it has something to do with her dad because her dad was involved in... Um, like organized crime yeah. takedowns and stuff that maybe someone had set her up, you know, where they'd set her up to buy something and then it was a hit. Damn. Yeah. So, okay. So right after the, the killer gets this mystery item out of her car, he starts driving South on York road. So, um, just a couple of days after the murder, police, um, Baltimore County police, not Baltimore City police, two different, right. different police forces. So she was actually killed just inside Baltimore County police jurisdiction. So um, they are the ones that are actually handling the case. So that's strike number one on the shit. Um, that's, you know, yeah. they kind of have the reputation. Yeah. So, um, so they came up with a couple of conclusions. Um, 
So the first one is they, police had like information to go on. They had the witnesses statements. They had the make and model of the vehicle of the perpetrator. They had video of the car that was leaving the scene on surveillance camera. Now, 1996, the, the camera footage is pretty shitty. So, yeah. you know, it's not going to be that great back then. Um, but they had a description of the suspect. Um, but the thing is, they've never released any kind of composite sketch. They've never released the video of the vehicle. Um, and here we are, you know, 23, 24 years later, and they have made absolutely no progress. That's insane. It still sits in the same status that it was, you know, back in 1996. Um, so they haven't released any crime scene photos or anything. So Jenny had actually tried, she spent 23 years trying to get, you know, the case file or even the autopsy report, anything. And yeah. they basically shut her down at every pass. And then, so she actually hired a private investigator to help her. And she, like, filed a Freedom of Information Act. Um, and, like, a year or so before that, the police had told her every time she followed up with them, that the, the case file was just kind of collecting dust, that they didn't have anything to go on. All the leads were exhausted. So when she hired the police detective and, or not the police detective, but the private investigator, and they filed the Freedom of Information Act forms, they were told, no, you can't have them because it's an active investigation. Uh, is it though? <laughs> exactly. You can't have it both ways. You can't say a file is collecting dust and then say, oh, but you can't have any of the information. It's, you know, an ongoing case. Well, yeah, it's ongoing, but it's not active in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, so that's where it is. So what do they decide to do? They decide to sue them for the information. Okay. So they eventually settle out of court for an undisclosed amount of money. And the settlement terms are, are pretty vague because I'm sure it also has, you know, some, some parts in it where you can't talk about it. You know, it's like a gag order. Right. But her sister essentially says that the, they paid her an undisclosed amount of money to basically shut up and go away. And in their part, they promised to begin working on the case again. What? Yeah. Okay. But sadly, they held up zero part of their bargain. Like, of course. Yeah. It's, I mean, 2023, and this was in 2019, and we're at 2023, and like nothing, it's still in the exact same spot that it was all those years ago. Um, wow. Yeah. So they, you know, are basically railroading her. Um, she actually did some like television news. She was on um, a news show with Lester Holt, which is a big deal. Lester Holt's like um, a big, you know, name in. Yeah. You know, so a company called MVAC actually saw her appearance on there and 
they offered to test DNA free of charge, like in their own private lab. And I don't know if you're familiar with MBAC, but our listeners might not be. They are a company that is able to extract touch DNA from previously basically surfaces that you couldn't collect it from before, Um, like porous materials and things like that. They're able to, you know, collect that, that stuff and then isolate it. And they said, we're more than happy to help. We'll do it free of charge, but you have to get the police on board, you know, cause we can't just go in there and steal all their shit and do it. They have right. to, you know, bring us in. And Baltimore County police basically said, nah, we're good. We want to do this as a last resort. Wow. So Jenny is like super frustrated. She's like, are you kidding me? Why would it be like, a last resort? Exactly. Like it's been 23, 20, you know, I guess it'd be 27 years now. Um, so she's obviously getting very frustrated. Um, so here we are. Okay. So then it's like 15 years later and she, her dad was always kind of the, the, Grease that kept the wheel going. He was the one that, you know, took on all of this. And then um, 15 years after Jody passed away, he actually passed away um, from cancer. So Jenny had to make a choice. She was like, okay, I can either let this go or I can take it on myself. And she decided to, um, you know, take it on herself and you know, take over her dad's work. And like I had said, her father was a prosecutor for violent crimes, but that was in another county. He wasn't in Baltimore County. So um, he would often work close with detectives and everything, trying to um, keep the case alive and keep that trust going. But by the, the 2000s, early 2000s, you know, when he got diagnosed with cancer, he couldn't carry it anymore. So then that's when Jenny spoke up. And, you know, she kind of took over everything. So now we, here we are, 2023. The case is still technically active, but there's nothing happening. So Jody actually, or Jenny actually heard of a movie that she had watched. um, And it kind of gave her an idea. And the movie was actually about a woman who was trying to keep um, her daughter's murder in the forefront, trying to, you know, keep people talking about it, keep, you know, thinking about it, keeping it out there in everyone's mind. So there was a movie called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Have you ever seen that one? Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that movie. So this movie actually inspired her to put up billboards of her own. Um, So she knew that, you know, based on Frances McDormand's character, she knew the kind of pain that, you know, was portrayed in the movie and she knew it too well. So she tried and tried to get answers from law enforcement and politicians, but they were railroading her. Like they were shutting her down every way so she's like all right i'm gonna do this so she starts putting up billboards around baltimore county where jody died um so this started in the fall of 2018 
and she commissioned a billboard asking for information leading to Jody's killer. And what it is, is it's just a picture of Jody with her beautiful blonde hair, long, you know, her big smile. And with the words, find my killer emblazoned above her head. Wow. So that did not get enough attention. So she decided, okay, I'm going to put up three more. And in March, on the anniversary of Jody's death, she put up more billboards, um, hoping to get some information on the actual killer. So these billboards aren't aimed towards the killer themselves. These are actually aimed towards law enforcement and uh, politicians. And when I say direct, like, she went all out. So um, the first one in the spring of 2019 It was a picture of Jody, like the same one before, but this quote was calling out the state attorney. And it says, S.A. Schellenberg, release my records. Wow. And another one goes right after the governor. And there's Jody again, smile frozen in time. It says, Governor Hogan, will you please help my family find my killer? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And she was finally not able, or she was not only able to ask the questions, but she was challenging the people that were keeping this information from her. So unfortunately, no one ever came forward and they even upped the uh, reward to $100,000. And that was funded by the family and private donations. Now I'm sure a lot of the money that she got in the settlement went towards, you know, funding the billboards and sadly her money's run out. Like she spent every dime that she's had, even $30,000 of her own money to try and, you know, keep this alive and, you know, put up the billboards. And so many people, even in her family, can't understand why she can't just let it go. Um, even her Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't let it go. Yeah. And even her husband said to her, you know, because she got to the point where he told her, you know, don't let the bullet that killed her kill you too. Yeah. Like basically saying, sometimes you have to let this go for your own safety. So it actually got to the point where she was lying to him about what she was doing and where she was going. Like she would tell him that she's going over to a friend's house or something and then she'd go do an interview or, you know, something like that. And he told her eventually, if you do one more you know, one more interview, don't bother coming home. And he had just kind of reached his breaking point. So they have actually run out of funds. So she has started a GoFundMe. um, And I will post that on um, our show notes as well as our Facebook page if anybody wants to help. Um, So even if it's just, you know, sharing the story or even if it's just a dollar you know, if enough people can do that, because these billboards can be two or $3,000 a piece. Yeah. You know, and that's just for a couple of weeks. So, you know, if this is something that people are inclined to help with, please do so. And, you know, it's, it's not just finding out who killed Jenny. It's helping her sister find the closure that she's so desperate for. Um, yeah. I mean, just... I can't even imagine, like, I've lost a sister, but it wasn't due to murder. And I still, you know, it breaks my heart and I have questions and, 
you know, all of that stuff that goes along with it. So when you lose a sibling, it's, it's a shitty club to be a part of. Um, yeah. You know, especially when it's something so tragic where, you know, they're taken from you and the way that they were taken. So this guy is, the killer is described, even though they have a composite or, you know, they have a description, they could create a composite, but they won't. Right. Um, it was a so black stupid. male. Yeah. Black male driving a white BMW wearing um, camouflaged pants and he had a stocky build. Hmm. That's basically all that. I mean, that's all they've released as far as, you know, yeah. I don't understand one thing though, is why these witnesses can't like work with a forensic artist on their own and have a composite yeah. get drawn up. I don't know. Maybe they, you know, the family hasn't had the funds to do that. I don't know how expensive forensic artists are, but they can't be cheap. Right. And maybe that was something that they didn't even know was a possibility back in 1996. And now these people's memories are going to be crap. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Sucks. So was I, where was I at on the angry Amanda scale? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah. Four, four and a half. Cause it's like so much of the information is right there and they're just not willing to use it. I don't understand. Some people think that maybe it's a confidential informant. Yeah. That the police are covering up for. And then some people are like, that doesn't make any sense because you know, what police department is going to let a murder slide for a confidential informant. But you and I both know Baltimore County has some shady shit going on. And it could be a small piece to a way bigger puzzle. But, and then it could be maybe Baltimore County just doesn't want stupidity on their record again. Because we both know they are notorious for stupidity. Yeah. Hashtag Adnan. Well, but this is before Adnan. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, okay. Ugh. And that, yeah, that just sucks. Okay. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> so how was the, the trip home? Did you enjoy it? Uh, what? We we went back to Maryland. Did you grab oh, a trip? Oh, seat? that trip. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grab Ignore. some taps? <laughs> I don't know if I want to go back there. No. It's cool that we both lived there at the same time and didn't know each other, but I don't think I want to live there again. No. Because I lived very sheltered. I had no idea it was such a shithole. Like, none. Yeah. No idea. I mean, I didn't really, but, I mean, I kind of knew, like, some of the areas where we were at were sketchy. And then, you know, my dad worked in Washington, so it was like, okay. Yeah, see, we lived on a military base. We lived on at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. And, like, we didn't leave for anything. Like, yeah. I went to school there. My dad worked right there on base. So my, you know, people couldn't get on base without having a reason to be on base. Right. So, yeah. And everything was basically handled by the MPs. So, you know, they kept their ship real tight. Yeah, we never lived on base. I don't know why. Um, we always lived on base. Yeah, I. It's a mystery mystery to me. I think my mom didn't want to. Yeah. So, but I mean, I feel like a house on base would have been better than the shitty apartment we lived in in Maryland. But we lived in apartments. 
in North Carolina, we had a nice house when we lived. I'm mean, not a nice, nice house, but you know, a better we, than a base style house probably. Yeah. When we lived in Germany, when we first went over there, our base housing was not ready yet. So they put us up in this huge, beautiful house that was actually right across the street from the Vestibul Opera House. Oh. Yeah. And it was kind of creepy because that is an opera house that Hitler would use to entertain his troops. Oh, Jesus. So I always like. Yeah, that would be disarming for you guys. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and we actually lived in, when we moved, um, the military housing had been converted. It was previously Nazi barracks. Damn. Like, you know, military housing. So I'm like, but yep. And then we lived right, right along the Czech border. So we didn't get to, to venture much. (laughs) Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. So we couldn't even leave the base without military escort. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it was during that time when everything was in upheaval and, you know, the revolution was going on. And yeah, so everything was just in upheaval. So with that being said, do you want to touch base with our listeners and let them know what you have coming up? Um, yeah, I will talk about the SIP list and then I'll let you talk about the other one. Um, this week on the SIP list, we are doing top five TV villains, which... I feel like I, I feel awful because I can't remember because it's been so long since I recorded, but I'm pretty sure Kendra was on that episode. As a villain? No, as. Oh. Yeah, I listed her as one of my top five villains because she's so I, villainous. I was like, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then next week we have top five vampire characters um, and we were joined by the Yeah, Uh-huh podcast. So that was fun. So, yeah, stay tuned for those. Okay. And then we also co-host on a couple of other shows, um, the first being Literature Reapers, where we just dropped our mid-month check-in, but you guys got a special treat. It was not a mid-month check-in. It was a full review on The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Yeah. I was say Clive Owen. I was like, that's the wrong guy. <laughs> Clive Barker. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so definitely check that out anywhere you get your podcast fix. And then later this month, we will be doing To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, for our second book of this month. And then on an evening at the movies, we are right in the middle or right at the beginning of our Stephen King uh, birthday bonanza. And we will be dropping an episode on The Shining very soon. Um, We also have the chaos brackets going on where we each pick an actress and pit them against each other and see who is the queen of chaos. So make sure you're voting on Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials for that. And we will see you next week for another cold, old, and often untold tale of true crime. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.